0: Myoho 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 Hello, friends. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for your support. Whether it's simply liking and subscribing, which is a Bodhisattva act, it helps the, uh, the YouTube algorithms uh, help more people find this resource. So that's propagation. Thank you. I thought today I would... I don't know if I'm going to... I'm going to do a whole series on this, but I don't know. I'm going to jump around a little bit. But the Threefold Lotus Dharma Sutra. Well, we have playlists here of several of the translations from academia and uh, history of the Lotus Sutra. And after spending so many years, decades, reading the Lotus Sutra and... Um, Removing cultural biases, religious biases, and just improper words that are confusing to the message of Nichiren, Tendai, and certainly Shakyamuni. They don't belong in Buddhist discourse. I decided finally, I've read so many of these that there's some consistent biases that I just couldn't tolerate anymore. So, I wrote my own version, along with, and you've seen the cover already, and there's a hardcover as well, um, if you want to buy that. Um, But this is more of a workbook, so you can feel free to mark it up and so forth, yeah? And so I went at this, not only to remove the uh, inappropriate verbiage, but I also have lots of parentheticals in here in italics, of my own commentary as you go, because I think it's important not only the Lotus Sutra as a document in and of itself, but as a a study of our the nature of our method of practice. And so I believe that as you read this Lotus Sutra, that it's important to inflect in it certain definitions along the way so that we're not left... I remember when I first started reading the Lotus Sutra, feeling like, oh, well, I'll get back to that. Oh, well, I didn't quite get that, but let me move on. You know, a long time ago when I was a student, I wouldn't do that. I would, every time something stopped me, I'd go and research it and then get back to it. But that's very, uh, it's very hard to read a volume on something with those kinds of interruptions i used to be able to do it though so that may be your method for me i like it to flow a little more so this is kind of a combination Uh, as certain terms are introduced i either define them directly in parentheses or i put in a little parent uh, a paragraph of my own explaining a certain concept not that it's critical but knowing it helps you to move on with the sense that you're understanding the stories, the analogies, the parables, so on and so forth. And I take the opportunity, because I'm already doing it with the influx of my insights and definitions, to marry it with and Doctrine. Nobody's done that. There are, and I just read a a recent book, uh, going through the Lotus Sutra, from the uh, standpoint of uh, uh, Nietzsche's scholarship and, and what he derived from it, that's good. Uh, so maybe I'm just following a trend. I, I think I thought of it first, but anyway, who knows in this world of information, right? So this is my effort at explaining, kind of guiding you through the Lotus Sutra, removing the religious, nobody's done that, the, the, the stupid biases that are in these translations, and marrying it with modern Nietzschean doctrine concepts. So it, so it flows more to the modern practitioner, right? And it clears up and actually points out a lot of things that people would normally miss in the Lotus Sutra. And it's an important, it's our foundational document. So I'm going to start reading some of it, and I'll point out when it's my commentary, so you know. And I start as the threefold lotus dharma sutra with the sutra of innumerable meaning. And I'll make some, uh, some statements in here that I'm sure you've never heard before. But hopefully, um, they'll be enlightening, convincing, and if nothing else, Help you develop your own insights, right? Because this is a personal practice. So your aha moments are the most valuable ones. This is about you attaining your own Buddha eye. Yeah. The sutra of enumerable meanings has three chapters. This is chapter one: Virtues and Merits. Thus have I heard once the Buddha was staying at the city of royal palaces on Mount. Kuta, that's Vulture Peak. Named so because the mountain looks like a big bird, vulture, eagle, whatever, a bird with, it, with its wings folded and, and sort of sitting there. That's how it got its name. With a great assemblage of 12,000 great bhikshus and bikshunis, and that starts growing rather rapidly. There were 80,000 Right In the last sentence, there were 12,000 bhikshus and bhikshunis. But that's just male and female monks, yeah? yeah. Now there were 80,000 bodhisattva-mahasattvas. So these are quite accomplished monks. There were all manner of mental influences in the personages of universal realms of influence. What is that whole blurb? Isn't that our 3,000 realms of influence, Yeah. And in Buddhism, as you'll find in uh, Buddhism reference, hmm, uh, these realms of influences are given personages. Inf- so personages of universal realms of influence, dragons, yakshas, gandharvas, asuras, garudas, kimnadas, mahoragas. See, it's all there, but now you know what it is. Besides all the bhikshus and bhikshunis, upasakas and upasikas, the fourfold assembly, there were great wheel-rolling kings, small wheel-rolling kings, and kings of the gold wheel, silver wheel, and other wheels. Further, kings and princes, ministers and people, men and women, and great rich persons, each encompassed by a hundred thousand myriad followers. Now, in parentheses, I say, a wheel-turning king is a revered shakravartin, Raja, an ideal ruler or king in Indian mythology, handy to know, a king who rules not by force but by righteousness and good and doing good. Chakra is the Indian word for wheel and Chakravartin is a wheel turner, a title that could be given to any powerful ruler. The idea being that, as the wheels of this chariot roll along, all obstacles in the ruler's path are destroyed. In Buddhism, however, the wheel com- becomes the Dharma wheel, and the wheel-rolling king can become a symbol of one whose teachings are so powerful that they overcome all obstacles. Ah, now we know what the heck a wheel-turning king is. We hear that a lot in the sutras. We've just started the Lotus Sutra and already you have a lot more security in your learning in your reading of this sutra because you have some idea of what it is you're reading. That's my goal. All right. They went up to the Buddha, made reverence at his feet and a hundred thousand times made procession around him, burned incense, scattered flowers. After they variously revered him, they retired and sat to one side. Okay, right back into the Lotus Sutra. Those Bodhisattvas' names were Son of the Law King Manjushri, the Son of the Law King Great Dignity Treasure, the Son of the Law King Sorrowlessness Treasury, the Son of the Law King Great Eloquence Treasury, the Bodhisattva Maitreya, the Bodhisattva Leader, the Bodhisattva Medicine King, the Bodhisattva Medicine ki- uh, Medicine Lord, the Bodhisattva Flower ba- So you're getting now, As you're reading these, you're getting that they're representative mental personages, yeah? And so this goes on. Bodhisattva scented elephant, Bodhisattva king of the lion's roar, right? This great list of Bodhisattvas. And it ends up with such bodhisattva mahasattvas as these eighty thousand in all. So he was enumerating those eighty thousand uh, accomplished bodhisattvas that he introduced earlier as a group. Yeah. Of these bodhisattvas, there is none who is not a great sage of the law body. They have attained commands, meditation, wisdom, emancipation, emancipation being parentheses, liberation from craving and clinging of samsara, let's know what it is we're reading, comma, and the knowledge of emancipation. With undistracted minds and constantly in contemplation, they are peaceful, unperturbed, compassionate, and free from desires. They are immune from any kind of delusion and distraction. Their minds are calm and clear, profound and infinite. They remain in this state for hundreds of thousands of Kodas of Kappas, and all the innumerable teachings have been uh, revealed to them. Having obtained the great wisdom, they penetrate all things, completely understand the reality of their nature and form, and clearly discriminate existing and non-existing, long and short, the moment-to-moment instantiation of potential arising, appearing and dissolving, right? And these Kalpas, remember, we talked about time before. I don't know, maybe I should introduce that concept here too, but I don't want to interrupt too much. Um, This concept of uh, time fluidity, uh, the, you might say the irrelevance of time, right? Shakyamuni uses this constantly to break us free from that linear thinking Moreover, well-knowing the capacities, natures, and inclinations of all, with Dharani's expedient words and phrases, and the unhindered power of discourse, they roll the law wheel just as Buddhas do. First dipping the dust of desire in a drop of the teachings, they remove the fever of the passions of life and realize the serenity of the priori law, the engine of life, right? By opening the gate of nirvana and fanning the wind of emancipation. This is poetics. Next, reigning the profound law of the 12 causes. What, the 12 causes, what? They poured on the violet violet and intense rays of suffering, ignorance, old age, illness, death, and so on. Right, which is the cycle of birth and death, the 12-link causal chain, or Nidana, eventually to evolve into the wisdom of the 3,000 realms in a single thought moment of life, right? The cycle of birth and death, then pouring abundantly the supreme Mahayana, the teaching of the Dharma of the wonderful Lotus Blossom, They dip all the good roots of living beings in it, Scatter the seeds of goodness over the field of merits and make all put forth the sprout of Buddhahood. So there you have the entire invocation of Namo and Renge hmm? This, The blossoming at the same time as the seeding, putting forth Buddhahood, the Buddha-eye. With their wisdom brilliant as the sun and the moon, and their timely tactfulness, or skillful means, they promote the work of Mahayana and make all accomplish perfect and complete enlightenment speedily. And with eternal pleasure, wonderful and true, and through infinite great compassion, they relieve all from suffering. Now, I'm going to take a little break at this point because I want to talk about something I've been seeing discussed on the interwebs. (laughs) I hate what people call it that, but... (laughs) I don't hate it. It's just... The Internet is one thing and the the World Wide Web is another, isn't it? Internet being more the... uh, the mechanisms, the machinery of while uh, the web is the actual content. Um, So, reading this, it's a reminder to me of um, people who follow, still to this day, and I don't understand it, the early teachings of Shakyamuni. And it's not so much that they follow the teachings, but they follow the... uh, In fact, it's not the teachings, because the teachings are consistent throughout. But there are schools... Endless schools of Buddhism that inculcated the old Hindu mythologies, Indian mythologies, right, of uh, reincarnations and afterlife and all That's religion that has nothing to do, nothing to do with what Shakyamuni was teaching. Nargarjuna exhaustively proved that still these people, they don't want to hear it. They're into tradition. They're not into knowledge, Right. They confuse one with the other. And and the Lotus Sutra is all about breaking that back then and it's today still. Uh, Evola, uh, Julius Evola wrote a wonderful book called um, uh, The Doctrine of Awakening, great book. Um, He's an old Italian scholar, no longer living. but he wrote this book early in the 20th century, and it's basically based on the Pali Canon. So it's the same teachings, but he brings to it a light that the schools of thought at that time, they didn't have. Um, And it's very informative. It talks about the the Nidana, the 12-link causal chain. So it's appropriate to bring him up now. But he mentions one thing is that a lot of the schools, several schools that spawned from these early teachings were very nihilistic. And this is something in the West that was discussed in philosophy too, right? From uh, uh, Nietzsche to uh, um, Heidegger, uh, Camus, certainly, all of those philosophers. They were, uh, in in the Renaissance, there was a lot of, you know, why are we here? What's the point of life? Because it suddenly occurred, especially after great pandemics, when, uh, you know, uh, a quarter or more of the population disappeared, your whole town was laying in the streets in front of you, dead. The idea of a benevolent God was kind of lost its power, yeah? So people were asking, what is the point of life? The idea that there was a life after death, mm mm-hmm. That was like running scared from the idea that life is while you're here. And when you're dead, you're dead. Well, ah, that's scary. So let's just invent some story about, uh, we'll live again or uh, we'll we'll live after, come on. It's just fantasy, It's, it's infantile really. But it continues today and it's a very powerful tool of manipulation. Let me tell you right now, and you can quote me on this, religion, religious organizations, religious group, religious thinking in this regard is the world of anger. It is the world of anger. What's the easiest way to develop the world of anger? Fear. The world of fear. How many times have I heard that? In realms of the religious Hmm? they are conducted every moment by fear and uh, from that fear grows anger, manipulation sidewinding, backstabbing look at the wars we're looking at today insanity insanity all justified by some righteous religious dream so yeah Nihilism is a form of fear. You live your whole life in fear of death. Well, then you're not living your whole life. You're not. You're living in the realm of fear. That's not the engine of life. That's not living life. Uh, Ironically, to me, Camus' idea of uh, absurdism is the closest to living life well. Unfortunately, labeled absurdism. Because if you see a philosophy call, calling itself absurdism, you finally you kind of think, why do I want to learn about absurdity? <laughs> but the absurdity that Camus is talking about is in this drama of constant fear, and, and he doesn't use these words, but I'm telling you the idea that all our actions and every moment of our consciousness is dedicated to worry about something that hasn't happened yet, right, means that we're not living this life. It's quite Buddhist. The absurdity is that we're so preoccupied with our attachments to the past clinging and our worry about the future craving, that we never live. This is all Shakyamuni was saying. Everything's there. Yes, those are facts. So, laugh at the facts. Be in this life fully. Engage with it, right? The whole mechanisms of having more money or having more this or more that are fear and anger Reactions against the dying of the light. Be in the light, my friend. Live your life to the full now. This is what Buddhism is about. This is what Shakyamuni was about. Siddhartha was about. Nitrin certainly looked at his homeland of Japan and the absurdity of the way they took this wonderful, great teaching and somehow bastardized it into religions. It was driving him nuts. Appropriately so. So, yeah, nihilism. It's pointless. (laughs) Which a nihilist would no doubt agree with, ultimately. (laughs) No, your life has a point. We get obsessed with this idea of purpose. What's my purpose? Your purpose, you're living it. Your purpose is an opportunity to witness this engine of life. How glorious it is in each and every moment. Your life is amazing. And if you don't think it is, it's because you're not in it. You're letting it go by. Don't do that. This is why I say all the time, take care of your health. There's something to focus on. Keep your practice strong. There's something to focus on. This is your purpose if you want to assign that language to it. Fine. I have no problem with that. Live your life to the full, my friends, please. And help your friends do the same. Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva universally worthy. Hmm? All right so maybe a little bit short today but I just um, I had these thoughts on my mind and I wanted to share them with you. Again um, tremendously appreciative of your participation in this resource. Don't forget ebooks, print books, uh, uh, mandalas, uh, and lots of free information right a lot of you have really gone uh, gusto on the on the podcast and I think that's great realize that if you want to comment to me uh, the podcast app does not make that simple for me uh, First of all it doesn't work on a computer it only works on a phone and that's a very limited resource for me so um, if you do want to comment uh, you can find the same exact title video, Podcasts on this channel And you can put it in the comments Or easiest of all, just use my email right? Sylvain At gmail And let me know your thoughts Or questions, right? So I desperately want to make sure that you get answers To keep you confident Keep you going in your practice We all need that, right? So thanks again I'll let you go, patrons Bodhisattvas, all of you Thank you, and I'll see you in the next one Bye-bye for now.